When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this ready podcast. Back out to Smart. Fakes the pass all the time. Three. Bang! It's William Strange. Bobs it up for Robert Williams. Should he go? Taylor Brown. Tatum. Durant, the long reach. Tatum, crossover, pull-up jumper. Hello and welcome to the Celtics Reddit Podcast. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Coming up on the show, it is official. Trade season is upon us with the February 10 trade deadline looming. It's rumor city at the moment. But before we get into that, we've got a recent stretch of promising Celtics performances to get to. Joining us for all of that and more, Newcastle's finest, Jackson, aka Rickman Lives. Jackson, how you doing, sir? Yeah, not too bad, man. Not too bad. I'm a little bit um, vax weary. I know we don't want to get too heavily into that, but um, yeah, beyond that, man, pretty good. Pretty good indeed. Thank you. Got that boost of fatigue. Well, uh, thanks for good. Thanks for sticking it out with us. And of course, our New Zealand correspondent Joe, aka Nosecrates McFly. And Joe, I believe congratulations are in order. Did I hear that you perhaps got engaged? Yeah, man, I got engaged. Got the old, got the old dusty knee. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For, uh, for the Kiwis um, and a few Aussies um, up Mount Monganui, she was on the she was a bit on the she's a bit on the hoof, but um, well, but uh, we got it we got it done <laughs> we got it done, mate. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to so, hear that. That's yeah, uh, that's yeah. Awesome. No, it's Congrats. cool. It's cool. So, so shout out to Rach who has been known to listen to these podcasts from time to time, boosting our numbers. Um, yeah, that must be so that thanks, one listener that keeps thanks. popping up. <laughs> thanks, thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That one listener from Manganaparu. Um, <laughs> the the no, nah, so she she did sort of need a little prompting to say yes, you know. But that's just because she was so happy, you know. Sure, that she had forgot. Good yeah. stuff, man. Well done. That's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. And Joe yeah, like, he sent us uh, an image of his dusty knee in our Slack. And I initially was like, oh, he's got a bruise. He's done an ACL. <laughs> like, he's a baller. <laughs> and he had to sort of talk me through like, no, this is what it means, Ben. You idiot. And uh, so thank you for that. I didn't realize that was like a, a clue that like a proposal had, had happened. If you send a picture of a dusty knee. So you learned something. Oh, well over my head too, man. No, no, to be fair, to be fair, like I was just being purposefully cryptic and I thought, oh, it's fun if people get it. So about 50% of the boys got it and 50% didn't, you know? So, you know, you're in, you're in, you're in fine company. (laughs) (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) Thank you for softening the blow. (laughs) <laughs> all right. Well, congrats again, man. We, we've got a, got a lot to get to on this podcast, but before we get to all of that juicy trade talk, the Celtics they have been playing pretty well lately. 
uh, excluding that shocker against the Blazers. We're going to just forget about that one entirely. Reddit user Hawking Sucks in today's daily discussion thread wrote, God damn it, I'm enjoying the Boston Celtics again. I'm ready to be hurt. Oh, yes, I am completely there with you. Jackson, we'll start with you. What do you attribute this latest upswing to? Is it for real or or is it just part of the broader issues with consistency for this team? Um, I think we just played two really bad teams. I mean, the Wizards aren't terrible. I think we just got them on a particularly terrible night. Um, and I think just the shots were going in. You know, that's the, that's the very like layman's lazy version of looking at it. But, you know, I didn't see like a huge amount of difference other than Marcus Smart coming back in, which I'm sure we'll touch upon a little bit later too. But um, I think as far as these two wins in a vacuum are concerned, um, yeah, just the shot was going in. The opponents weren't great. Um, if we are going to forget about the Portland um, example as well, um, I would be considering getting like buying in that we're can, you can raise the expectations maybe up a slight level um, moving forward here. But um, I don't know. The, the season's been too too up and down, too 50-50 to be properly on board yet. But, uh, I mean, you don't get a the second largest win ever, biggest win at the TD Garden, like without being, you know, having something to it. So I'm a little bit encouraged. But, um, yeah, I'm not getting carried away just yet. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it does help when you play the Kings, but in that Hornets loss, like there was some good ball movement there. It was obviously a disappointing outcome, but the team played fairly well and, and have done for the most part in January. Uh, Joe, what do you think? Are you, are you buying into this recent stretch or are you still unconvinced? Well, it was just interesting, um, Jackson pointing out that, hey, we're this ranked in the Celtics all-time margin of victory, you know, kind of standings. Gee, I wish I had another go at that sentence, but it's too late. It's out there. It's, You're it's in. recorded. Just like the Celtics season. <laughs> You've got to find your way yeah, out there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, what was number one, Jackson? What was number one? Do you know what number uh, one was? 56 against the Bulls three years ago? Yeah, what? And, and if you wanted to draw some parallels between those particular seasons, do you Ooh, think uh-oh. you could? Uh, yeah, uh, a largely unenjoyable experience <laughs> overall. But that was yeah, that was a fun that was a fun afternoon. Yeah, and do you remember thinking, <laughs> all right, they've turned it around. This convincing win it. against a half decent Bulls team. You know, we've, we've figured it out. Championship number eighteen is uh, on the cards. That's uh, right. Our average again. margin of victory. <laughs> average margin of victory after that Bulls. That team, that eighteen nineteen team, wasn't actually as bad as people remember. It just got completely in its own head after, like right around the All Star break, mm-hmm. when they lost to the Lakers, is when it went downhill. But this is all Rondo hitting the shot at the buzzer, and then we lost oh, yeah. to the Clippers the next day after being down by up by twenty five or something like that. Anyway, um, and then it all went sideways. But moving on, um, I think, mate, we've got a. We've got to see a lot more of it, you know, like um, two games does not a season make, you know. Um, and look, to be honest, mate, random games of uh, <laughs> 60-point wins against the Phoenix, uh, against the Sacramento Kings butter no parsnips, do they? So, um, <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> so, so I, I, mate, 20-game rule still applies. Need to see 20 games of... You know, where we go 15 and 5 or something like that before I'm willing to really lend this team any of my trust. Um, but I would say, particularly in the Washington game, I think the pace was noticeably different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's We've really got to push that ball up the floor. Um, and that means, that means, man, we need to get, Schroeder needs to get lost. Mm. Pronto. 
Yeah, well, we're going to be talking trades pretty soon, and I, I dare say Schroeder's name um, might be uttered one or five times. Um, you talked about sample size there, Joe. I was, I was just trying to find the the Dan Greeny Greenberg tweet, friend of the show, because it adds, <laughs> this, we're talking about sample size, it adds to the still admittedly small sample size of our starting lineup playing together, and they continue to have very good numbers as a as a five-man lineup um i couldn't find the tweet unfortunately so i can't get given oh, it's like, i've seen i've seen a few variations of it where it's like the 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 starting lineup has a net rating of plus 13.9 and we've been scored outscored by 39 points over the other minutes mm-hmm. that everyone else has played together right yeah. but we know this right like we know that our margin of average margin of victory and our average net rating suggests a team that is a lot better than uh, what our record is but we also know that our record is actually quite deserved. <laughs> yeah. you, can, you can't keep losing these games and call it unlucky, you know? Yeah, I mean, it and, is what and, it is. Like we've, we've had such a little, you know, relative to other successful teams, um, with the exception of perhaps the Bulls, we've had such a little glance at our full starting cohort over the stretch of the season so far. And I think you've got to consider the fact that they're so young as well, and that there is a, a developmental aspect, and for them not to get that time together does mean something. And then when we do see see them together, they are good. So maybe I'm clutching at straws. Maybe I'm still like scrambling for ways to enjoy the season. <laughs> but like to me, it's like the knowledge that those guys are good together helps. Um, John Corrales said on his podcast today that Jason Tatum was quote Giannis like in getting into the paint in this recent stretch. Um, so an example of that, he did provide probably a way more in-depth look at the stats than I will now. But for Tatum, drives per game in November, 11.7 at 35% field goal percentage, finishing those drives. Drives per game in January, 13.5, finishing at 50% from the field. And in the last three games, you know, questionable defenses, sure, finishing at 65% on 13 drives per game. Um, suffice to say, Tatum playing well means that the team succeeds as well. Jackson, are you buying into, like, again, we're talking about turnarounds here, but is Tatum finding it as he tends to do later in the season? Yeah, well, it's it's kind of remarkable, like, the, the regularity in which he kind of comes alive. It's like he has his alarm clock set for, you know, mid-January. And he's like, oh, shit, hang on, it's, t- it's time to time to get going. Here we go. And, um, yeah, and he, he looks he looks incredible. Um, not to, like, deviate too far away. He's, pro- he's probably going to get an all-star vote just on, like, reputation and being an incumbent now. I feel, um, and maybe that maybe he gets up for that. Maybe there's something about like just the way he looks after himself or the way in his personal life. I don't know if that's pure speculation, but uh, if if I am going to sort of get on board with you know the idea that we are turning it around properly, it, you could probably historically point to Tatum's you know form this time of the year, and yeah, you know to to to, to absolutely like destroy the Kings and like 36 is nothing to be. He had 36, right? Nothing to be sneezed at, but it's not like he was, you know, it's not like 51. It's not like mid, mid-40s game or whatever. So, you know, if he goes, it feels like the rest of the team goes. And yeah, I'll, I'll probably attribute some of that to Tatum getting going. But um, yeah, we keep coming back to just, I got to see more of it before I'm fully on board with it, really. Well, are we sort of litigating the point that John Corrales made? Friend of the pod, by the way. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're intending to do? Is he, is he like Giannis getting into the paint? Is that, is that the point we're trying to argue? Well, so Corrales' point was that the numbers in terms of getting into the paint and then executing successfully once in that position 
being in the paint is very comparable to Giannis in recent recent days. So um, the stats don't lie. I mean, I highly recommend going and listening to that Corrales pod because he, he breaks it down like quite heavily uh, and thoroughly. Um, but yeah, I mean, the numbers, you know, they, they are comparable. Okay, so um, <laughs> the stats don't lie. The stats really can lie here, and I'm not going to dogmatically, <laughs> and I'm not going to dogmatically hang on to this point because I I want Tatum to be a low variance producer of offense, and this is critical to being able to do it. Mm-hmm. So hey, look if he if 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 his mentality or his game and his and his skills have have adapted to make him better at that, that's cool. But like, let's just think about what makes Giannis. Really, really difficult, right? Think that, well, another thing to think about, though, is Giannis, no one's even guarding his jump shot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Giannis can just manufacture points in the paint. So, just first of all, I'll pose the question back to you, lads. Do you feel like Jason Tatum can manufacture points in the paint in the same manner that Giannis can? Not to the same degree. I think he's he's very good at, like, overpowering and just, like, forcing himself into the paint. Um, but no, not to the degree that Giannis can do, at least not yet, anyway. Yeah, I uh, feel the same way. Yeah, no. So, he, he's yeah, not as good I, as he I don't even. <laughs> I, I don't even think he's in the same, same stratosphere. There, there's some really fundamental... Uh, Tatum, it's, it's quite unbelievable how much he manages to score, really, but he's got some... He's got some to me, he's got some really gaping flaws in, in his skill set. We've talked about a lot about how he really struggles going left. Mm-hmm. Um. Back in his rookie year, he used to finish on the left-hand side of the hoop with his right hand an awful lot. Bill Simmons used to talk about it like it was his move. Um, you don't see that anymore. Guess why? Because <laughs> that's a really easily blockable shot. Like, it's crap. We get taught not to do it from young kids. You know, when we're going up, eh? You know, we get taught left-hand side of the hoop, right foot, left hand. Yeah. Um, and He, and he is Tatum- finishing with his left hand now, though. Yeah, yeah. I've, yeah, and there's been a couple of times where I have, but... You know, that's um, it's not something that like he lacks. I think it would be fair to say that overall, relative to most elite NBA players, Tatum lacks some ambidexterity. Um, the second thing is he gets really off balance when he drives. That's why he gets a lot of push off fouls. He gets his nose in front of his toes a lot, and as a result, a lot of his finishes are really awkward. Now contrast that with Jalen. Jalen has got a lot. Jalen's a worse player. But Jalen is a vastly superior, um, vastly superior threat as a slasher because he doesn't get off balance. Um, Tatum, Tatum gets his, he gets really out in front of his skis a lot, and then finally, Tatum tends to he tends to. I reckon the hardest thing in basketball is in traffic getting the ball from the from your knees above your forehead. If you can get it from there to there, man, you can you can you know. That almost like I don't know what percentage of the game you would say is that, but man, far it feels like a quarter of the game. Honestly, like when I'm playing, eh, I'm like, ah, oh, if I could just get it above my forehead, I'm, I'm, you know, I can control it. And I really feel like Tatum struggles to get the ball above his forehead and and traffic. Sure. Um, and and he's you know he like it's not as and it, it, to me it makes sense that he would rely on his fadeaway. Um, and rely on his jump shot. Now, the numbers may be what the numbers are. I would tend to chalk that up to a, a statistical aberration, uh, absent like visual evidence of his of his ability to manufacture points in like high leverage situations changing. Now, man, I hope he does because we, uh, you know, that's 
that's the difference between him being kind of a little bit of an empty calorie scorer mm-hmm. and um, like really close to an MVP candidate. It's the difference between him being like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, or mm. um, not in terms of style, but in terms of status, you know, They're, those guys are different status. Anyway, I've kind of ran it for a bit. I do have a compliment that I want to return to Tatum before we finish, but I, I want to leave that there for you. I was going to ask if you had comment. anything nice to say about him. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Let's hear it. Or do you no, want me to go? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, it's it's a it's it's a it's a copy of Danger Cats. Danger Cat had a great point that he made, and it, you have to consider this. Jason Tatum doesn't miss games, right? You know, certainly not through injuries. Missed a couple through COVID. So the value that he provides in the aggregate sort of exceeds a exceeds a guy like say, I don't know, if you have Jalen Brown, who's really only available two thirds of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, Jalen Brown might be. Um, might be really, might be, might even be better in his minutes. Hypothetically, he could be right. I don't think he is, but let's say he was. Well, the fact is, he's out for games and doesn't play as many minutes. Tatum just swallows a minutes workload. So, look, even though he's he's got his flaws relative to other elite players, if he's on the floor for longer, he actually provides more value, right? Like, you know, it's sort of like a if the if the if, even if his rate is a little bit lower. If the base amount of units is higher, he's going to provide more value overall. And yeah, sure. that's really important because if you can't stay on the floor, you can't provide value to your team, like especially through a course of a regular season. Available. So I just thought it was important to acknowledge that because Tatum clearly can come on the floor. And also, I'm not worried about his shooting. He will shoot it. Yep. He has to progress to the mean. Everyone on three. Availability is... The, the best, best availability. availability. There we go. 100%. I use that so much in life too and I got it from this show. Thank you guys. <laughs> <laughs> say it in every job interview. Uh, I say, to my, say to my team. It's like, I'm, I'm sick today. Well, did you know availability is the best ability? Okay, sir, I'll come in. Thank you. I feel like Ben must feel like that a lot of times given the amount of times we bail on him. <laughs> uh, we've, got a, we've got a full team now. We've got a US office. Uh, so we're, we're fine. Yeah, There's we always do. someone up for a pod. Um you mentioned Tatum's shooting. First of all, I, I those are really interesting points that you that you make, um, Joe, and points that people like myself, I think, need to hear who just look at the stats and watch the games, ball watch a lot, admittedly, and watch Tatum succeed and think like, great, he's on his way, all NBA, something team. Uh, you know, we're going to build around this guy. He's a potential MVP. And then and to, to have his flaws, which in the back of my mind, like, you know that he has. And if he wasn't a flawed player, then we wouldn't be a 500 team. Um, but he's young and he is flawed, so we, we are. It's it's good, I guess, for me and probably a lot of folks listening to hear some of those those factors quantified a little bit. So thank you for that. There's a comment from user ZGamer200 who says, on the shooting aspect, this team is likely a top six seed right now if Tatum was shooting roughly 38% from three instead of his current 32.4%. But the fact that he's had so many off nights shooting-wise has forced Tatum to learn to affect the game in other ways aside from raining threes, and that's going to be good for his long-term development. And then in addition to that, uh, Steeple Pet, also a friend of the show, had that quote from Jason Tatum where he called the shooting slump, quote, a blessing in disguise. So not trying to extract more compliments out of you, Joe, and, and Jackson, I want to hear from you on this as well, but like, are you, is there anything that he's showing you in this recent stretch? Because I, I do feel strongly about this, that he, he is starting to like build out uh, I guess a more um, 
complete like player archetype for himself where he's got more go-to scoring opportunities now with the drive and with getting to the line more with the kickouts with the higher efficiency in the paint like are you or is you just going to write this off to playing against a bunch of bad defenses in a, in, a, in this recent stretch? Yeah, no, no, certainly not. Um, look, I, I don't have the I don't have the the tuned in analytical brain or like you know comprehension to sort of remember like little bits and pieces here. But I mean, if you want an example? Like there was a great pass that he threw out of a double team to Josh Richardson in the corner for the buzzer beater in the first half against the Kings, and I I just remember I remember thinking to myself, I haven't seen him like do that before if i have i haven't seen him do it enough so i think he's like learning to deal with a double team and pass out of that a lot more um but as far as like scoring getting into the pain is concerned i mean i, I don't know again I'm, I'm a simple man i see the ball go through the hoop and i'm like good i see it go not going the bat the hoop i'm like that sucks what's wrong with him um and he's just been doing it more often so if, as long as that we keep doing that then like you know simpletons like me are, are happy but i'm sure like i'm sure th- this season now that it's just kind of like it's really his team, but like officially, it's like him and J, him and JB's team. Um, I'm sure they're learning a lot out of this. I'm sure they're getting a lot of probably like mental reps up here to sort of deal with with crap like this. And I think you know for the most part, you might hear some noise like there's a little bit of discontent here and there, but they all seem to pretty much like each other, and they all seem to the chemistry seems to be fine as far as I can tell. So as long as like mentally he's up here and there's a bit of resilience going on, then if that shot starts falling, then I think that's all we really need from him at the moment and if his like, the finer points of his game can continue which i think they will then i think he'll turn into what we hope he will be yeah i mean he's a 40 percent three-point shooter like he's a real shooter he's got to me like his shot has some it's hard to call them technical flaws because if you can ever shoot 40 percent for an entire nba season on volume like your technique probably doesn't matter that much but i wouldn't teach my kids to shoot how Tatum shoots. He's got a kind of a slingshot. Like I'll since we got YouTube, I'll just do a quick demo. But like, hang on. It's about the angle of the elbow. So there was actually a, a Danger Cart had put up a, a sh, uh, no, it was John Corrales and Danger Cart had a little um a little tiff on Twitter. I saw and it. I was it's firmly great. in team. I tried to fuel the fire a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I know they should. They need a fight. <laughs> um, but I was on Team John Corrales, but and that, but that's beside the point. If you look at that picture, you'll notice that the angle of Tatum's elbow is like this. Yeah, he's got a really uh, internally I'll do it with rotated my fingers. Shoulder. It's mm. like that. Like like he's he slings it. J- Jalen actually does the same thing. If it goes in enough, like hey, like whatever. But it's not how you teach a kid to shoot. You teach a kid to shoot with the elbow like kind of square, and you push up, and your elbow extends like that, as opposed to flexing back like that and catapulting the ball. Mm-hmm. So um, so I can sort of see some reasons for um, for Tatum's shot to maybe suffer from consistency issues um, in a way that you wouldn't see, say, Sam Hauser's shot <laughs> suffer from. <laughs> AKA um, the, the perfect jump shooter. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and you can tell, like, just the way his, you know, I'm borrowing a point from somebody here, but the way Hauser's shots hit the net, you know? Yep. Like, that's a wetter shot. But with all that said, Tatum is still a 40% three-point shooter. Like, that, he absolutely is. And yep. and he will shoot better. And if he was shooting better, yes, we would be. We would have a, a better record. Would we be for real, though, Ben? Would we be for real? If we were, you know, like 27 and 20 or something like that right now, would we be for real? That's the thing. And we've been at this 
point so many times through this season and recent seasons where it's like, okay, we've put together this really good stretch. Now let's see it against a good team with a good defense. And I think the the nearest f- version of that for us is going to be this upcoming game against the Heat, although the Hawks have won five straight, I believe, as well. And then it feels like in the last year or so, whenever we've gotten to that point where it's like, please prove it against a good team, we then lose that game. And then the cycle begins again from the beginning. So we're at the end of that part of the cycle where things feel good. We've turned it around. Things are great. Now we're at a point where we've got to see it against a good team. I do think eventually as the Jays mature and as the roster construction matures and settles in properly around the Jays, we will break through that point where suddenly we start to have games like that. Not 56 you know, point or 53 point wins or whatever it was, but like decisive victories against good teams. I, I do think that is in our, not, I don't want to say near future, but it is in our future as long as we can retain the Jays. But um, no, I mean, I don't, I know I've asked this of you guys already, but like I, I haven't seen anything uh, behaviorally or otherwise to believe that like suddenly we've fixed things. So no, I, I don't think that we're for real. I'll go on record saying that. Um mm. Can we talk about someone else? Because I want to talk about Marcus Smart, who came back for the last two games. He's a absolutely amazing plus 36 on average across those two games. You contribute <laughs> a lot of that to the huge win against the Kings. Um, He's true to Dorian, Marcus Smart. Yeah. <laughs> Get him up there. I want to buff him. Uh, but like, unbelievably, six field goal attempts per game which is amazing. Uh, I did a bit of a deep dive on Marcus Smart. 12 potential assists per game in those two games, which is an awesome stat. Um, but I, I guess it factors in if everyone can shoot properly, which they can't on the Celtics. Uh, 6.5 actual assists per game. But for the most part, I feel like he's been playing like a point guard, almost like Dennis Johnson vibes, where he just is setting everyone up. I feel like in transition, he's been great, and we've seen the team score more successfully in transition as a result, and he's just solid. Um, I don't know. Jackson, am I wrong? Like, I just I feel really suddenly warm towards Marcus Smart, which is dangerous, I think, heading into this, this uh, trade <laughs> deadline period. No, I think we, we all love and we all trust Marcus Smart. And I think Brad Stevens loves and trusts Marcus Smart as well, too. I, I don't think that name's getting dealt this this window unless like there's some like amazingly lopsided deal there for us but you know you never know you never know it might happen i don't think it's any it's certainly no coincidence we've looked much much better with him coming back in now that is he actually improved himself as a point guard or is he just an obvious upgrade over dennis schroeder you know i'm i'm guessing it's probably the latter and you know just having that like that refreshing sort of sense of having someone in there who plays with a bit of pace and, you know, probably gets the team, for lack of a better term, um, a lot more. Um, I, what my favorite thing in basketball, like not, not my favorite thing, but one of my favorite things that I love seeing is the inbounds pass off the guy's back while it's turned for a layup or for a jump shot. And oh, yeah. I don't know if Marcus had done that before, but he did it against the Wizards. And it, it just, it, it makes me so happy when I see that. I think uh, Trey Young did it against Grant Williams like last season. And it just, I was like, oh, I got ahead of my hands. I was like, I hate it when it happens to us. <laughs> um, so when, yeah, seeing stuff like that just, just gets me excited to have him back. But um, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe he's, maybe he, he took the, he is taking the, the, the COVID break that he had off to reassess his game and is, you know, shifting away from taking more shots or whatnot. But I feel like there's, there's plenty of times where we think like he's getting it and he doesn't take you know eight threes a game but you know i know you'd know for a fact it's going to happen again you know whether that you know against the hawks this weekend you know tatum and brown could be like you know four for 20 combined 
up comes Marcus Smart with the three. And it might go in. It might be great. <laughs> but um, I think I think we're just seeing an obvious upgrade on Schroeder these last couple of games, which is why we've looked better. But I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. What do you reckon, Joe? Oh, I think he's hugely influenced the tempo that the team plays with. Um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm irrational a little bit about Smart. Um, there's times I'm thinking I have, a, I have a shot in mind that he took that he just really shouldn't have. I think it was against the Knicks. I think we might have been up two in the last minute or something like that. There was an obvious swing pass to Jalen Brown that he didn't make. Um, it got pointed out by... Actually, got pointed out on like Mo Duck Eels, um Twitter feed. If you guys follow follow Mo, um, like it was a bit of a glaring one, eh? And sometimes I think, um, yeah, like there are reasons, there are grounds for really serious grounds for criticizing his game. But to me, I just see him as such an intuitive and creative player. Who um, there's a reason why they talk about you know him being one of those guys that impacts winning. He really does. You know, he, he makes things happen out of nowhere. And, yeah, he does take some stuff off the table. But um, I think he's a point guard. I think he's a really creative playmaker. Um, I think he's a, a better a better offensive or more threatening offensive player than his, than his numbers show. And that's, you know, historically was borne out by how teams guarded him on the three-point line. Like, why mm-hmm. are teams closing out like crazy on a 30% three-point shooter? Because he'll take him. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's yeah. why, and you you kind of got to accept that as part of the deal. Now that said, if Marcus is taking fifteen shots a game, that's gonna be detrimental to your team. Mm-hmm. But Marcus, when he goes three for ten and has five rebounds, five assists, and three steals, or something like that, I guarantee your team is like that's a very typical smart line, right? Mm. I guarantee, I guarantee your team's probably doing okay with it. Your team can survive him shooting 30%, you know? Um, yeah. Um, I love him. Um, I never want to really trade him. Um, I hope he's here when we're really good again. Yeah. Okay, well, let's stick with Smart. I, I did want to spend some time shouting out other individual performances. Obviously, Time Lord has been great. Jalen's been pretty solid in, like, kind of filling out those second guy numbers in these last few games. Grant Williams continues to splash threes. Josh Richardson's been great off the bench. Um, But we won't spend time deep diving into those guys. We'll just sort of acknowledge them and move on. So before we get to these trade scenarios, these specific trade scenarios that have sort of been discussed and passed around in the media over the last, uh, I guess, week or so, a few days, um, it feels silly asking this question based on what we've all just said. Is it time in general to move on from Marcus Smart? And I'll, before you answer, Jackson, I'll, I'll tell you where this sort of how this pr- question was prompted. I've been talking to our old mate, Larbird33. We uh, communicate regularly He's over our mm. Instagram uh, DMs. And he likes to point out to me when Marcus Smart isn't good, which is fine. It's just, you know, regular sports fan discussion. The last two games, I've sort of been pushing back to Larbert a little bit saying like Smart's been great like you know he, we talk about needing a playmaker like look at this guy he's been amazing um, but Larbert is pretty convinced that it's just time for whatever reason um, and he's entitled to that opinion to move on from Marcus Smart Jackson do you, th- do you think we're just at a point where like we've gone as far as we can get with Smart and we need to you know look what we can get back for him and, and try something else um if I realistically thought there was an obvious upgrade available, I would be inclined to say yes. I look at the market of 
just let's just say just of point guards that we could potentially get and like I don't have the extensive knowledge of what's possible and what's not this window or the next but there's just nothing out there that I see is worth sacrificing for to be perfectly honest yeah you could upgrade you know you know just raw scoring but everything that Joe said applies you know I, I think you know he brings way more to the team than just you know a, a Draymond Green kind of stat line you know he influences winning in a lot of different ways so absolutely that is a hard no from me I, I do not want to entertain the idea of moving on from him unless like i said earlier there is an obviously lopsided trade from some desperate team that that that, that wants it like even like halliburton like we got a good look at halliburton and that's been like the sexy name that's been thrown up he had a bit of a terrible game but i do like him as a player i that's still a no from me to be perfectly honest i wouldn't be prepared to do it just yet yeah i mean what are we achieving by doing it you know and i guess the same criticism could be lobbed at me when i've sort of floated um, you know, Brown for Simmons type trades before. What are we really achieving? I just, I see smart as, um, I see smart as the kind of role player you are definitely going to want on your team and you're actually good. And, um, and, and I just don't know what would be available from in a trade is going to move the needle for the team in a regular season and certainly not in the playoffs. Um, so like, I mean, no one's untradeable, right? If you offered me Marcus Smart for, I don't know, um, Paul George, yeah, I, I guess you have to do it, right? You know, like like Jackson's saying, but um, I just don't, I don't see the trade out there that reshapes our team, mm-hmm. you know, in a, in a significant way, um, which is to me probably like how I try and define the threshold, but it'd have to reshape our team in a in a in a, in a way that's quite material. Would have to look quite different afterwards, um, and I, I don't see that for us. You know, I see the path to us being a contender as being like an ugly defensive juggernaut, mm-hmm. um, and that certainly isn't going to be furthered by by trading smart. Yeah, it's tough because you mentioned smart is the ideal role player on a on a contending team, but. You know, how do we get the pieces we need to be a contending team without sending out some value? And Marcus Smart, Robert Williams are two guys, not named Jason or Jalen, who you know have value. So you know it would be all good to have Smart around when we've got all the other pieces to say, okay, we're definitely a contender. But like, how do we get them without? giving up something in return. Maybe it's by giving up all or most or some of our picks. Maybe it's by, um, you know, a sudden ascent by Pritchard or Neesmith, which seems unlikely. Um, but I guess it's like, you know, in conclusion, Marcus Smart has more value to us than he does elsewhere around the league. And I think Marcus Smart has more value to us, the Celtics, than anything that we could get straight up in a trade for him you know he could be part of a package where we add other salaries and picks and get a beal which we'll get to but um yeah i just think smart's better off in celtics green than he is elsewhere um having said that there's a reason sorry go ahead well sorry i just wanted to add sorry like there's also like hey we're fans and we actually just want to cheer for guys we like and you know that hey at the end of the day um, that's what makes a difference in my, you know, the experience of being a fan. It's been a cheer for a guy like Marcus Smart. I love it, you know. So as a fan, I just don't want to trade him for somebody who's just kind of, you know, milk toast. 
you know, as a as a you know, I don't like I've got a lot of emotion invested in them, you know. Yeah, I agree, <laughs> and, and um, and and I don't want to, you know, like I like Halliburton, but like, yeah, okay, whatever, you know, like there's yep. an emotional vacuum there that's not really filled. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, for Halliburton to have, be averaging. I think close to 10 assists on that team, on, on that Kings team is pretty impressive. Like he must be really setting those guys up because I don't know, obviously we haven't watched a lot of Kings games, um, but they're not particularly impressive. So he must be doing a good job of, um, of putting those guys in position to score, which you could argue we, we need desperately. Um, okay. So feel free to bring Smart's name up again in this part of the discussion, but of the names that have been floating around recently, so Bradley Beal, Harrison Barnes, Terrence Ross, Jalen Brunson, Kyle Anderson, and, and Jeremy Grant, I think again today, came up in uh, in a tweet on the, on the subreddit. Are there any in particular, any names in particular that stand out to you, Joe, or is selling and getting under the tax and, and playing the young guys more appealing as opposed to trading for one of those guys? Yeah, I've, I really feel like we're looking for more of an addition by subtraction um, kind of kind – of, we need that sort of strategy um, more so than, than actually acquiring another piece right now. I just – yeah, I don't think we've got the pieces to acquire an elite player. I, um, I think we just need to get particularly Schroeder out of the rotation. Mm-hmm. And like trading for a guy like Harrison Barnes, I mean, I just don't see that as solving our problems. Like, we've got two all-NBA or all-star wing players. Like, that's a lot more wing depth than anybody's got, you know? And if Neesmith's a player, that's plenty. That's three wings. How many more do you, how many more do you need, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see if Neesmith's a player before we try and put someone in front of him in the rotation. Yeah, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, there's, there's, there's just nothing that moves the needle for me, like, like at all. So, I, I'm if we if it was a, a trade that here's the thing: there are obviously not all trades are going to be like you know the the lottery winning blockbuster trades. It's going to take you from here to here, like the KG Ray Allen sort of situation. There's going to be trades and acquisitions you're going to need to make. That's going to like be building the house, sort of brick by brick. Like that's an important piece. That's an important piece, even if it doesn't you know particularly you know excite you, but. I don't feel as if getting rid of any of the guys that we currently have or any of the assets that we currently have for what we would get in return is going to be is going to be worth it. You know, I could be wrong. You know, there could be, you know, Kyle Anderson, you know, I, I, I would I'd, I'd like the idea of a Kyle Anderson on, on this team. But uh, as far as the other guys concerned, I mean, the Beal thing's never going to go away, is it? You know, as long as, you know, Jason Tatum is on this team and alive. Bradley Beal is going to be linked um, with us. Um, so, you know, I, I'm preparing for like years of that before he signs somewhere else. But um, no, I, I don't think there's anything that's worth that's out there that that should we should consider unless, you know, someone is coming to us with a godfather offer. Like if we're going to just like play fantasy for a second, like, you know, I'll listen to like any anything, basically anyone you want not named starting with Jay for like a DeJounte Murray or something like that. That would be mm-hmm. fine by me. But anything else? No. Nah. Not really. Not really. I'm, I'm happy. I'm, there's a big danger in just standing pat for too long. That was a criticism of Danny Ainge for a while. But I think it's well worse to, to make the wrong trade haphazardly. So I, I don't want to. I don't want to belabor the point, but this is why I consider. And I'm if I think about trades, I think about trades that would involve the Jays because they're the only ones that have the ability to reshape our team in any material direction. No matter how we what the team looks like, we're still a team built around the the Jays. And if they're not up, to, you know what I mean. And if they're not up to it, they're not up to it. Yeah. So that's why I tend to 
more meditate on those. But anyway, I just move on. I think I think yeah, we're real quickly on the last thing here. I think if like if it, if it came push came to shove and we needed to like get someone, but it would cost us something. Like I could see Jalen Brown going, you know, and that would break my heart. But like I feel like we could get something like proper for Jalen Brown. I don't feel like Tatum would be worth it. I don't feel like. Maybe Time Lord Smart wouldn't get you what you're after, but Jalen could be the case. But I mean, I'm not prepared to entertain that just yet. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts in the media, and I'm like, who knows? Because sometimes this kind of stuff is put out in the media just to jack up trade value of, of a guy like Jalen Brown. But by all accounts, they're adamantly not shopping those guys, not wanting to trade them at all, and, and hoping to build mm-hmm. around the Jays. I think there is leverage in the Beal situation in that you know there's that relationship between. Beal and Jason Tatum and wherever he gets traded to Beal hypothetically if he is traded at all he is an expiring contract like he is a free agent at at the end of this year correct me if I'm wrong and any team would be hesitant to give up you know real value for him thinking that he might go and you know sign with his best mate or close mate Jason Tatum for the Celtics who are positioned to clear cap space if they want to or need to you know, there's there's an argument for the fact that we have leverage because of that relationship, um, and could therefore get Beal for less than what he's truly valued at league wide in a vacuum. You know, forgetting the contract situation. So then it begs the question, and Joe, I'll ask you this first: Do you just have to go for Beal with that in mind, given that this you know Boston isn't exactly a good free agent destination? Um, we kind of just have to jump on stars when they're available. And do you throw smart and, you know, the three picks and the additional pick swaps and a young player at the Wizards to get Beal with some sort of verbal agreement that he will re-sign at the end of the year? Well, let's roll, like, work this through, though. Like, role play it a little bit. Okay. I'm the If I'm the Wizards, why do I do that? Because you're going to lose him for nothing at the end of the year. Right. So you got to be pretty sure you're losing for nothing, mm-hmm. right? Mm. Okay. Because you can't re-sign him, right? You do not have any cap space to re-sign him if you get rid of him, right? So, you've one, you've got to cross that, I guess, or, or um, fulfill that criteria. Um, so then then you've still got to compete, out-compete anybody else who might, who might want to trade for him, right? Has anybody else got, you know... Has anybody else got um, pieces that they might be willing to move? Um, who's a team that might be wanting, that's on the up and up and might be looking to move up? Uh, I don't know, man, Memphis. Grizzlies, I think yeah. Memphis could put yeah. a better package together than us. Yeah, of course they can. Yeah. You but- know? So, so like, sure, like, in a vacuum, if they offer them to us, you know, <laughs> yeah, probably. But I guess I, um, I see that as a little bit of a moot point. Um not to like totally shut down to the discussion, but that's how I, that's how I see that one. Yeah, no, no, that's that's totally fair enough, and that's a it's a it's a worthwhile approach. But yeah, like Jackson said, like the Beal thing, like we we can't get away from it, and um, you know, not to compare it to the AD situation at all, but this is the point where like agents can start to get involved and start to put things out there like Beal is, you know, intent on playing with his friend Jason Tatum. Obviously, that hasn't happened yet, but, you know, these are the sorts of things that we need to be looking out for that would really give us true leverage in a, in a Beal trade where the Wizards just turn around and say, all right, like, what do you got? Anyway, that hasn't happened, so let's not um, let's not speculate on that any further. There is a point or a post, rather, on the Celtics sub by user, indubitably good sir, 
And the title of the post is a statistics-based argument as to why I'm worried about the prospect of a Beale Supermax. And they go on to say, it is increasingly or it increasingly looks like last year was a career year for Beale. He has since regressed in every single advanced metric substantially. His win shares over 48 have halved from point. 132 to 0.069. His offensive box plus minus is down from 4.8 to 2.4. Shooting a career low 30% from three. And there's some more stuff there on his darker defensive, you know, plus minus, which, you know, you can go look up if you want. We're not going to do a deep dive into what all of these advanced stats mean. Suffice to say, he's shit this year (laughs) compared to how he's been earlier in his career. Uh, And a a warning sign, you know, to not give up anything substantial in a a Beal trade. Um, But it's concerning, right? Like, how often do you get a stab at a guy like this? So, I think you have to seriously consider it. Anything else on any of these other guys before we wrap up? Because, I mean, there's there's other names here to discuss and to consider. I do have one thing on Max, guys. And that's that, um, <laughs> man, it's so much better to sign other people's free agents than, you know what I mean, than, <laughs> than re-sign your own with the Supermax. Eh? Those, those Supermax contracts are just about never worth it, you know? Hmm. Um, they're, they're too much for... Uh, outside of like half a dozen players in the NBA. Yep. So um, <laughs> I'd rather sign him and then, you know, we've only on the hook for four years. Um, that's that's preferable to me. That's just, that's just a point I want to make. And that would be true of any uh, max level, but not MVP level player. Mm. The, the Beal Tatum thing, it almost feels slightly like the whole Gordon Hayward, Brad Stevens thing to a degree. You know, there's yeah. a link, there's a personal link there. It's, oh, they want to do it. It's going to be great, blah, 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 blah. We all know how that went. But, um, I mean, one thing on that post, you know, if you look at it another way, then that just means his value is going down as far as I'm concerned. You know, buy low, sell high. Um, And here's another maybe controversial point. Maybe it was because he was playing with Russell Westbrook. <laughs> maybe <Yeah. laughs> maybe Russ bought the best out of him in his career year and maybe playing with, I don't know, a Marcus Smart might... Bring him back there. I don't know. <laughs> terrible, terrible uh, thought process there. But I don't know. It's just something that came to mind. <laughs> no, we, we welcome the terrible thought process on this show. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think that there could be, to your earlier point, a potential John and Yoko situation. If we bring in Brad Beal, <laughs> suddenly he's the Yoko to to the to Tatum's Lennon, I guess. And then, what? Well, I guess in this case, Jalen Brown is Paul McCartney. Maybe I don't know who George Harrison is. Anyway, you, you know watched Get Back right? over Christmas. I did. Didn't you? I watched yeah. it several times. Yeah, I don't, I'm a big I don't fan think Yoko Ono did anything. To be honest, he just sat in the corner, nice and quiet. So probably George Harrison. Well, do, do you want to pay someone a max to sit in the corner? Because if we can get and, Aaron and Gordon out there, Aaron yeah. Gordon, if we can get Neesmith out there to sit in the corner and, and jack some open threes, then uh, it'll probably cost us a lot less. Um, anyway. Let's let's steer away from that analogy. Anything else <laughs> on any other potential trades, guys, before we wrap up? I mean, it sounds like, by all accounts, the Celtics are going to be very active uh, leading into the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. But I think the general consensus among us is that's going to be active in selling and, and getting under the, the, the tax line. I feel, yeah. I feel... Sorry. I feel like it'd be like almost sacrilegious if we didn't mention Bol Bol and, uh, oh, yeah. and PJ Dozier. We have been active. We've gotten That's a couple of guys. We'll, we'll yeah. never see them, but um, yeah, we, we've done something at least. And, um, you know, that was very much had cap moves and uh, cap space and, and, you know, tax in mind as well too. So if we do see another trade, I think it's going to be more, you know, to get us to get us under that line too. So I'm not holding out for anything spectacular or major. 
Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. I didn't even throw that on our yeah, run sheet. I, forgot I feel about terrible. It until a second ago. <laughs> terrible host. Uh, Joe, you had a point you wanted to end on. No, nah, man. No, 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 no. I was, I was answering in the affirmative there. Okay. Well, look, we'll wrap up on this comment from user New Zookeeper Game Seven Seven Two. They say the Hawks on Friday will be a big game. The Kings lost worse than the scoreboard said to the Hawks. It shows that Boston and Atlanta is a clear tier above a team like Sacramento. A loss versus Atlanta will confirm this team is not good enough to be buyers and do need to sell every non-J slash rub ahead of the deadline. Folks, that's going to do it for this one. Thank you for listening. Certainly an interesting and potentially exciting juncture of the Celtics season. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe, review, share, all that good stuff. Check out our YouTube channel. And most importantly, say good day in the comments. Celtics J and Wayne Spoonie are probably going to be back with another pod very soon. In the meantime, Jackson Joe, love your work, guys. Thanks again. Thanks. Thank you, Ben. Cheers, boys. Go Celtics. Peace.